So, today is Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost, it's, it's one of those heavy Christian words that gets thrown around a lot. But uh, not thrown around quite enough that you, like, need to know what it means. It's very possible that you could have gone quite a bit of your life not knowing what Pentecost is. Maybe you've been playing it fast and loose, pretending you know what it is and kind of nodding your head when people talk about it. Oh yeah, Pentecost. Or maybe you've been under the impression that Pentecost only applies to Pentecostal denominations. And let's just squash that right now. In short, Pentecost is the day that the church celebrates being empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the work that God has called us to do. Today's Pentecost Sunday for Christians around the world. So, so I thought it would be a good idea to incorporate it into our series on the Holy Spirit. The story of Pentecost is found in the book of Acts. You can turn there, which is where we'll spend the entirety of our time this morning. First, though, I, I do want to quickly review uh, the main points of the past two weeks. So there's been some like kind of major um, uh, posts, major things that we've said, crucial elements, crucial aspects of what we have to say about the Holy Spirit that have kind of laid the groundwork and how we're going to get into talking about more things in the next coming weeks. So the first thing, really, really, ultimately crucial thing, is that the Holy Spirit, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about God. Christians aren't polytheists. When we speak of the Holy Spirit, we are speaking of the Spirit of the one living God, Yahweh, the God of Israel, who reveals himself in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thing number two, the Holy Spirit, this is why the series is called Call Me the Breeze, other than the fact that it's quoting the song, but the Holy Spirit is a who, not a what. He is not an abstract force. He is personal because he's a person. Number three, the Holy Spirit's primary role is ordinary. And when we say that, we don't mean that he's boring or not special. We mean that he exists, the Holy Spirit exists beyond the bounds of what we would call the supernatural. He is the great sustainer of all existence, not just the elements that seem especially spirit-filled. Fourth, the Holy Spirit proceeds, we talked about this last week, the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. He's equal in deity and majesty with the Father and Son, but it's important that we remember that the Spirit's activity is revealed to us as part of the biblical narrative. We respect the story as it's given to us. The Spirit had always been present because the Spirit is God. But the role that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit plays, comes in a unique way. And we're going to see that today. He's going to come into the story in a unique way at Pentecost. In the story um, that, that, that we study every Pentecost Sunday. The thing is, the story as it's given to us takes place in the context of the whole biblical narrative. Creation, fall, Israel, the Christ event, and then, because of the Christ event, because of the cross of the empty tomb, then Pentecost proceeds from that story. Fifth, the Holy Spirit, as we talked about at the end of last week, the Holy Spirit is our paraclete. 
not our parakeet, our paraclete, the one who is our advocate. As we sang this morning, our counselor, comforter, keeper, spirit we long to embrace. He is our helper. Because Jesus has ascended to the Father, the Spirit then comes alongside us and then shows us that God has always been on our side, even if, it may, even if we may not always be on His. And that's the last point that we'll build off of this morning. So turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 1. In Jack's, uh, right at the beginning of Acts chapter 1, we read, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking to them about the kingdom of God. So you can already see a handful of like big Bible words in that first paragraph that, that, that should grab your attention, right? The, the reference to Theophilus tells us that this document was most likely uh, written by the same author as the Gospel of Luke. Acts is the sequel to Luke. Often when we think of, of Luke, we think of Luke as the gospel to the Gentiles. So it makes sense that, that there would be a sequel that would show how that mission got started. In that first paragraph, you'll see a reference to how in the gospel, Luke detailed what Jesus began to do and teach. The implication is that Jesus is going to continue that mission in the story that follows. There is reference to the ascension, which Acts is going to recount later on in chapter 1. There, there is reference to the chosen apostles, the, the ones who were sent out via the Great Commission. And then there is this, this four-part punch in the last sentence. He presented himself alive, resurrection, after his suffering, cross, for 40 days, so hearkening back to, to Israel's time in the wilderness and Jesus' time of temptation. And finally, this reference to the thing that Jesus was all about, the kingdom of God. So Acts goes on to say that Jesus ordered the apostles not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which you heard from me. Did you catch that? There was a promise from the Father, Jesus says, which you heard from me, because I and the Father are one. But now, the next chapter of the story of redemptive history is about to begin. You remember last week when we looked at, we looked at John the Baptist, who, who baptized in the Jordan for, for, with the water of repentance. Now, Acts tells us that since the Christ event has occurred, and Jesus is, is poised to ascend to the right hand of the Father, the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit is about to be fulfilled. In fact, says Jesus, you all are going to be baptized. John baptized with water, but you're all going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. The word baptize, it's a word baptizo, meaning immerse or, you know, submerge. Can't wait to, for, to get to, to a pool this summer. Anyway, so the Holy Spirit isn't, he's not just going to be your advocate. 
He's not just going to be your counselor or your comforter or your keeper. In Christ, you are going to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. You are going to be cleansed in Him. You are going to be refined by His fire. And then, you're not just going to be refined by the fire in order to sit back and wait for God to take you ahead of Him when you die. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that once you're sanctified, once you're immersed in the Holy Spirit, then you are going to be used by God to go about His mission to the ends of the earth. Book of Acts. It's a story of how the early church, it took the gospel, the good news of the message of the kingdom and proclaimed it worldwide. The next vitally important principle of the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is evangelical. There's a, a word there. That, that's a word that's been, been dragged through the mud lately. There's nothing wrong with being evangelical. But we do need to be clear on what evangelical means. To be evangelical means that you are gospel driven. That everything you do is activated by the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's my favorite definition of the gospel. The gospel is the royal announcement that God's kingdom has come in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth, the Lord and Messiah, <clears throat> in the fulfillment of Israel's scriptures. The gospel evokes faith, repentance, and discipleship. Its accompanying effects include salvation and the gift of the Holy Spirit. I love that definition, and if you read the first two chapters of the book of Acts, you see it all there. The Holy Spirit is evangelical by nature, meaning that he is going to empower the church to proclaim the gospel. In fact, some might even go as far as to say that the Holy Spirit is going to empower the church to become the gospel. The church is to embody the good news for the sake of the world. I didn't make that up. I got that from Jesus. Acts tells us that, that before the ascension, Jesus gathers his disciples, the disciples, and the disciples, they ask him. They said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus says, really? No, he said, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you, guys, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The word power is the Greek word dunamis which is the root word of our English words like dynamite or um, dynamic. Jesus is telling the apostles that they will receive a dynamic, explosive power when their community is immersed in the Holy Spirit. I know I often use the word dynamic anytime I refer to creation in sermons. This is because I want us to think of God's creative force as a moving dynamic power that flows out from him and continues to multiply life. 
It is that spirit of God, that, that ruach we talked about in week one, that, we ta- um, that breathed life into chaos and formed the cosmos. It's the same breath that, that now we empower, that, that now will empower the church to be the church and take the gospel to the ends of the earth. If that's true, then it's the same breath, and that's the same breath that resides in you. There's a prayer commonly attributed to to St. Francis of Assisi that says, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. If we're the instrument, I don't know if Francis actually was thinking about a musical instrument there, but I am. If we're the instrument, when the Spirit of God was breathed into the church, it was like God breathed life in order to make music for the world. He asked us to press the keys according to the music that that he's provided, but it's all by his breath working through us. Or to continue the music analogy, he's asked us to play in the key of the Holy Spirit, the key of love, joy, peace, patience and kindness, goodness, gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Those are like the key signatures of the Holy Spirit. He's breathed life into us and has guided us to play life in those keys, but gives us the freedom to play our own personal melodies in his key signature. Jesus had always told them that greater things than even the miracles he performed, the disciples would do. The Holy Spirit breathed life into us, and that is how God gets that done. Unfortunately, we want to play other melodies, and we want to go off the page, but they just don't work in God's key signature. We want to play the melody of greed, or jealousy, or selfishness, or fear, or oppression and injustice in order to play the music that we want in the way that we want, even though it clearly doesn't work in the keys that God has given us. The Holy Spirit says to us, come come back, come back to my page and experience the freedom of playing in my key. And then it happened. Jesus left them. Or at least it looked that way. Acts says that just after speaking those words of commission, he was lifted up as they watched. And Acts says that they just stood there, (laughs) starstruck, gazed up in the sky, wondering how on earth they were going to do this without him there. How on earth are we going to do this without Jesus on earth? I have to imagine that many of them didn't get it at that point. How are we going to do this without him? But of course, we, we were never meant to. We're told that just then, these two men in, in white robes, angels perhaps, spoke out to them and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taking up taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So Jesus is coming back and you're going to know it when it happens. In the meantime, the church had a job to do. 
and an opening day was upon them. So turn over to chapter 2. Here we get the actual story of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What does that mean to speak in tongues? We're going to find out. Now there was dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, Jewish leaders, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished. They said, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in, in his own native language? It's like God's breaking down the barriers of of language and being able to communicate. We're being able to communicate with one another. Um, it, it's kind of like, I think I talked about this last year on Pentecost Sunday, it's kind of like a reversal of, of the Tower of Babel story where God divided everybody up by, by language. This is like a reversal of that, of that curse. Um, uh, and how is it that we, uh, each of us here in our own native language, um, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, uh, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes and Cretans and Arab, um, uh, Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty words of God, the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But, but others, they, they kind of mocked them. And they said, ah, they're just drunk. But Peter, standing with the eleven, he, he lifted up his voice. And, and this is one of Peter's shining moments in, in the New Testament. Many, he addressed them. He, he gives this speech. Men of Judea, and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people aren't drunk, as you suppose. It's like nine o'clock in the morning. They're not drunk. And then Peter, he gives this, this, this sermon that is just really something. I suggest you spend time with it this week during your quiet time. Essentially, he tells the crowd that, that these Jewish religious leaders or, or these, these people of Israel, he tells them that this Jesus, the one whom many of them had made choices that contributed to the crucifixion, had actually, Jesus had died to save them. At one point, Peter says, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ. Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Luke tells us that when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were faced with their own depravity. They were hit with the realization that they could not fulfill this mission of God from God by their own cunning or by their own control or by their own authority. 
Instead, they needed to give up control to the one true king, the one who deserved their allegiance above all others. It would be through the Holy Spirit advocate that he left behind that Jesus' gospel would spread worldwide to the glory of the Father and everybody would be welcome. Everybody would be radically inclusive, the most inclusive gathering on earth. The book of Acts ends with the Apostle Paul in Rome. You know, the Rome, the, the, um, the, the image of Rome that we get in the first century of like Rome is the powerhouse of the world, which is kind of a cool way to end the book of Acts because it, it kind of sets up the message that he would give to the whole world through his letter to the, to the Romans, beginning on the next page. That's where the ship is headed, but for now, I want us to end with that moment where those, those Jewish folks were cut to the heart, where, where Israel was cut to the heart when they considered what was on the line. Not just for them, but for us. And we're told that they were cut to the heart. Then they asked Peter. They asked the rest of the disciples. They asked this group of people who had been intimately associated with Jesus. Brothers, they called them brothers. Don't you love that? They called them brothers. What shall we do? Peter said. And then Peter said, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. So, so what does it look like when you're at the end of your rope and you have no other power to attempt to solve life's perplexing problems on your own and you are cut to your heart with the conviction that it'll take something far greater than yourself to truly be your God. What's the response there? Peter says the response is to repent and proclaim your new life in Jesus Christ by, by being baptized and you receive, then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Physically, it'll look like you being dunked in a, in a pool or water or in, the, or in a river or even sprinkled on your head. You know, we don't get too specific about that. But ultimately, what it's about, what that is pointing towards is the baptism of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Did you catch that, though? The Holy Spirit is a gift. This was not a gift of obligation, like God had to give you something, so he gave you the Holy Spirit. You didn't earn this. Jesus did. But because he earned it through his sacrificial love on the cross, Jesus breathed life into his church to be his hands and feet to a world desperate for the gospel. We're going to spend the next two weeks looking at words from the Apostle Paul. We'll unpack some more truth and understanding about the Holy Spirit and look specifically at what the Spirit of the gift of the Spirit looks like, looks like in the lives of, of each one of us. But, but, but before we close, in short, God wants to use you, church. He, he wants to use your gifts.
your personal talents, your personality, and use them to further his kingdom by the power of his Holy Spirit. Before we, we talk about that, we, we have to take Peter's words to heart. Repent. 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 And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, this promise is for you. It's for your children. And it's for all who are far off. God wants everybody to come to his table. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So that's our question today. Is God calling you? Maybe for the first time today, you need to do business with that gift and to see the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of Jesus' sacrifice, to say, I need to make that the centerpiece of my life. I need to make my decisions. I need to build my life on that foundation because nothing else is worthy. I need to repent and I need to turn and I need to move in the direction of God's kingdom. And then once we do that, we receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. We're baptized in the gift of the Holy Spirit, not just for our own benefits. We're not blessed to the exclusion of others. We are blessed for the benefit of others. And we are then to use our own personal gifts, the things that, that get you up in the morning, the things that you are most passionate about. Those things, not just religious things, those things that you are most passionate about. God wants to use those things and breathe his Holy Spirit through you so that you can go and, and proclaim the gospel worldwide. That's what it looks like to be the hands and the feet of the gospel worldwide. So maybe that is the first thing, if you've never made that decision. But maybe you made that decision 20 years ago. Maybe you made that decision 30 years ago. I, I don't know. Maybe you made that decision last year and you realized that I just haven't put the practices in place. The practices of walking in step with the Holy Spirit. And I just pray that over the next few weeks, you'll do business with God and to consider what does that look like? What does it look like for me to live a life of discipleship, to live a life of salvation, to live a life of, of hope? That's what it's all about. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness to our congregation. I thank you for New Hope Community Church. I thank you for the men, the women, the children who are listening to my voice right now. I pray for each one of them that they would hear your call to be your church. And when they get up tomorrow morning, whatever it is they do, they know that they have been gifted by the Holy Spirit. They have been gifted by your breath of life in order to put their hands to work that matters for the glory of your kingdom. I ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to the glory of God the Father. Amen.